Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The show is sponsored by Matt Rock, our first official sponsor. He became an official sponsor by becoming a member of the Jazz Session at the highest membership level, which is $50 a month or $500 a year. I am looking for 100 members by the 300th show, and this show that you're listening to right now is number 292. The 300th show will air on August 11th, and I need how many more members by that time, you're wondering? 36 more as I record this. I have 64. I need 36 more, and there are about 28 or 29 days left before the deadline. Things have really picked up in the last few weeks in terms of members. It's been very exciting. I want to thank a couple people who joined just recently, including Kevin Ray and Kyoko Kitamura and Jonathan Matz. And I wanted to to read you just a couple things uh, that two of those people said. The first is Kyoko Kitamura. And actually, I taped a live show with Kyoko and the trombonist Jen Baker the other night at the Downtown Music Gallery, which you'll hear in a couple weeks. Kyoko said this about the show, I see the jazz session as something that might represent the future of music journalism, a versatile internet downloadable program which combines audio, the musician's interview, great questions, great editing. I feel it's very important to have an outlet where the music and the musicians can speak for themselves. Rather than bemoan the current state of the music industry and journalism, I find it more satisfying to support what I believe is a great format that truly works. And Jonathan Matz, who's a student, full-time student, said this, I made a one-time donation in April, and here's another donation to make it to the $110 annual donation. As a full-time student, this is a stretch for me, but as a former WKCR DJ, I know the value of what you're doing. So thanks a ton, Jonathan and Kyoko, and uh, all I can say is what they said, I hope, and if that's what you think. Uh, please become a member of the show. You don't have to come in at the top level like Matt Rock did. You can come in at the uh, lowest level. It's perfectly fine. That's 10 bucks a month, $110 a year. Every single membership helps to get to that, uh, to get to that goal. And I don't need a hundred people at the top level. I need a hundred people at the bottom level. And if there are some people who come in higher, that just means the show can last even longer. But I definitely do need those hundred people. Uh, at the bottom level. So please do come in at that $10 a month or $110 a year level and uh, support the jazz session. Thank you so much. Again, August 12th is August 11th, I mean, is the deadline and I need 36 more members by then. Another cool thing happened to me. If you're listening to this in real time, it happened about 48 hours ago, which is that the LA Times uh, named me one of 25 arts and culture people to follow on Twitter. Uh, I don't do a ton of tooting my own horn on this show, but I was pretty excited about that. It came totally out of nowhere. Uh, the LA Times has a section called the Culture Monster, and uh, they picked 25 people in a variety of different arts disciplines, and one of them was jazz. And uh, I was named along with trumpeter Nicholas Payton, whose Twitter name is Paynick, P-A-Y-N-I-C. Uh, Next Bop, which is exactly like it sounds at Twitter, Next Bop. And uh, NPR's Blog Supreme, which is twitter.com slash blog supreme. So please follow those folks. And twitter.com slash culture monster is where you can follow the section of the LA Times that named uh, this show one of the 25 arts and culture things to follow on Twitter. That is uh, super, super exciting. I, I was just blown away when somebody sent me the link to that. Speaking of being blown away, I can't remember exactly when this was, but let's say it was a couple months ago. I was at the Evolving Music Series at Clemente Soto Velez, which is here in New York City on Suffolk Street and happens every Monday. 
Uh, I believe it is completely curated by Faye Victor, but I'm going to give Faye the credit anyway. I'm, I'm 99% sure that she does all of the booking. Uh, it's a fantastic series, and it brings together sometimes brand new combinations of people, including a show I saw, which I think was the first time they had played together, uh, by Theo Blechman and today's guest, Jay Clayton. Uh, Theo's already been on the show, so if you go to thejazzsession.com, you can listen to his episode for free. Along the left-hand side, there's a alphabetical list, last name first of all the past guests. And he and Jay just amazed me. They are both uh, very skilled users of electronics where the voice is concerned. And the amount of music they were able to make, uh, just the two of them, with just their voices and electronics was really stunning. And, you know, it was really electronics in service of the music. It wasn't just a gimmick. It was to make beautiful music. Uh, and this was just, a, you know, another instrument, another means to that end. So at that show, I gave Jay my uh, my business card and said, this is what I do, and I would love to talk to you. And uh, after a while, we were able to get it together, and I was able to go over and uh, hang out with her for a while and hear about her amazing career in music, uh, both on the experimental side and on the more traditional side. So before we hear that interview, here's some music from Jay Clayton. Falling in love with love is falling for me. Falling in love with love is playing the fool Caring too much is such a juvenile fancy Learning to trust is just for children in school I fell in love with love one night when the moon was new I was unwise with eyes, unable to see. I fell in love with love everlasting. But love fell out with me. Thank you. 
My guest is Jay Clayton. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. We were talking uh, just before we started recording about uh, some recent festival appearances that you did, which might be a nice uh, intro to let people know what you're sure. up to these days. We mention those again. That yeah. was the last. Yeah, well, the last two performances, I guess, were at Rochester Jazz Festival and the Burlington with uh, this new band, which I'm honored <laughs> to be with, Sheila Jordan. Uh, Sheila and I have, a, with guitar and bass, we have bebop to freebop. So. You mentioned that in the in the context of that band, you find both ways to do duet performances, kind of larger right, we performances, mix it and up. back yeah. and forth. Right? I mean, of course, we've known each other for years. Of course, you know, I, I read about her in Downbeat when I was 20 or something. <laughs> But lucky me, now it's been how many years later, and never mind. And uh, we've been friends and working, teaching together for like, I don't know, I'm I'm judging by my kids, so it's probably 25 years or more. And uh, so anyway, it's it's great to do this with uh, with her. And and uh, but it's we used to like do a, one set and she'd do a set. I, I do a set, she'd do a set, do a couple together. But this we're trying to mix it up and cover all that we do. You both strike me as as performers with very individualized vocabulary, very individual performance I think so. language. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. What, what is that like to meld those well, two languages on stage? Well, that's the fun part of it. Sure. Know? And I, I, I hope you get to hear it sometime soon. Of course, we're both very busy with other projects, and, and uh, so probably we won't do anything until after, uh, in the fall, maybe next year, you know, something. But that's, that's what's exciting to me, because we have a lot in common in terms of conceptually or even our as we approach teaching, you know. I, sure. But we are very much whoever the heck we are, you know, and <laughs> the twain does meet, you know. Yeah. I mean, I have free bop is out of bebop, so there you go, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, we do a lot of trading and, and uh, uh, you know, I'll just do a simple example of, of the mix, but I'm, you know, more known for a lot of the free stuff that I do, so I'm also finding, trying to find ways to bring her into that without, you know, compromising. We are who we are, but, and I, of course, came in with Miles, so an example is rhythm changes is, you know, I understand it, I, but, but it's not in my thing, so I've been doing that more, and it's, it's really fun. You'll yeah. see, you'll see. Do you find that after uh, all this time you've spent really exploring your own uh, freer vocabulary, I guess for want of a better word, that when you do things like rhythm changes, you approach them very differently than you did when well, you started out? Well, it's just like anything. I've all, I've never stopped doing the standards, so it's the same thing. I mean, you know, I, I do what I call a scat lab, you know, not that I claim you can teach it. I don't really claim it, but I know I can help. You have to keep the character of it, and, and yet, and actually a piano player told me that a few years ago when I was talking to him about, I want to blow over rhythm changes. I don't want, you know, I know I wasn't in that era as such. You know, I didn't know Charlie Parker. I mean, you know, when I was in all those eras, but he said you can you can be pretty free without losing the character. But, you know, I'm not going to go crazy with strange stuff. Sure. But yeah, so it's a matter, but you start by doing what it really is, and then if you really are yourself, it comes out. Yeah. You know, I, we'll see. I'll let you know. So <laughs> you be the judge. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
do you have any idea of what it was that that caught your ear and caused you to begin exploring uh, what I guess has become to be called Freebop now at at this point? Well, uh, not specifically. And as we were saying before we started the thing, you know, we I have no recordings of it, but uh, just to be as brief as I can, but even just just improvising, period, without words. I mean, I listen to a lot of horn players. I, of course, you know, I, my mother was a, was a, a, actually couldn't follow her dream, but she sang during the, what, the swing era, so that was pop music. She didn't even know it was jazz. So I heard a lot of that music, but I start, when, once I discovered Coltrane and Miles and Monk and all those, I think my first thing was I would hear Miles, and it sounded, I heard his, I heard his soloing, even if, at 16 or 17, I didn't know what soloing was. You know, I just got, to, I just loved the music, so I followed it. But it sounded to me like he was singing. And I heard these lines. I heard what he, as lines, not as like whatever, improv or whatever. And I was scared, but I started to hear him myself when I was singing. So it took a while. So the first thing was just to improvise, just try it, you know. Then I was lucky enough to move to New York in 63. And so soon after I moved here, boom everything went free and right and i lived in a loft and i even had all that stuff happening in my loft even though it was mostly horn players set. so you see i didn't know what it was but i always was even in college although i i there was no jazz education you know i i, I started singing then uh because there was a jazz musician on campus who had been in the service he was older so i learned a lot from listening to records that he played but even then i didn't i didn't improvise or scat but i started listening to horn players and there i was in the 60s in the me and gene lee and i went for it but oh i'm i lost my train of thought excuse me but even in college we studied you know classical or whatever i liked the contemporary classical too i liked the different things that the voice can do sure actually lambert hendricks and ross i heard when i was in college i thought they were improvising i didn't know what was going on but even that i was what are they doing? How could the voice do all that? You know, so for some reason, I just, I started to explore all that. you lucky or just single-minded but somehow you avoided being shoved into the the box the singing box that this is all that singers do and please don't leave this box. I, I do I I think I was just driven by what I loved and that's it you know now yeah. there were times and when I first got here because who could make a living you know I mean it took years I mean who, nobody was looking for a jazz singer I'll tell you that even the big ones, you know, Sarah and them, they were, you couldn't hear them in the 60s. That They were a lot, doing a lot of hotel work and touring, sure. you know. But people would say, why don't you sing 
pop for saying this for a while, but I never bought that. I don't believe that. I never will. I believe you have to continue whatever you It's not like you haven't I didn't know what I was going to do. It's not like that. I was just following what I liked and I right. was trying things. You know, I was just try I did try things, you know. But yeah, I I don't know. I I just never went into that box. my layman's view of the jazz world is that singers have it pretty tough, particularly in the, you know, kind of expanding the pool of players they play with, because I think singers showing up at jam sessions just have, there's so much baggage that comes along with that. Uh, and I, I wonder what that experience was like for you, especially as someone who was trying to, to push outside. Well, my experience is that I, you know, as they say in my bio, I dropped, what did they say? Stepped into the New York scene. Right. No, but I, <laughs> Again, because I was so obsessed with listening to the music, I would go out. And, you know, a young girl in her 20s, you know, getting hit on, and they never, first of all, they never believed you could sing. And and after I went to a few places and saw some singers sit in, I understood it. And I love singers, <laughs> and you will know that. I teach a lot. I love singers. I do it. But I, it's like, oh, my God. When I go, oh, God, of course they don't think I can sing. And I would wait till sure. 2 or 3 in the morning. Why? I don't know. I was obsessed with I loved it. And I would, if they asked me to sing another one, I knew it was okay. But I mean, and that's how I learned to count off tempos. I'd watch the instrumentalists. Oh, my God. I was, I did study music. So I, I think that's an advantage. The more you know about it, uh, you get, gain their respect. But, uh, oh, I have a lot of ideas about singer versus instrumentalist, by the way, not singer versus musician. Right. <laughs> you know. And sure, of course, I, I had to, oh, God, please, you know, a girl in the first place in jazz, a singer, even white, you know, with times, you know, I mean, that, you know, you have some strikes against you, woman in jazz, oh, God. But I still went, you know, and if they asked me to sing, then I gained their respect, you know. But I always tell singers, the more you know about, it's a language. Mm. And if you speak with instrumentalists, you, you have to have heard a lot of the same things. And, and that's the ones they respect, I think. So that's what we do as so-called teachers. You know, I just hope I can lead them to do that, listen to the music. It know. sounds like it's as much about providing the context as the actual, or in addition to the actual singing tool itself, that you're trying to provide all the things that surround it. Yeah, it's, I, I've always, you know, I wrote a book. I don't know if you have my, you know, it's called Sing Your Story. Yeah. You probably know yeah. about You probably know a lot more about me than I do. But, um, but you know, I... I you have to uh, listen. If, if I always say, and I know I'm teaching in institutions and colleges for many years, but 
if you only listen if you only listen to the music only listen to jazz and don't go to school because you can or whatever you will learn about it if you just go to school and you don't listen enough no it doesn't you won't you know i mean you're a listener you know that yeah you know that's that's what it's about really it's it's an oral tradition and uh you can't it's not optional said that somebody oh, I can't remember I remember and I heard that someone teaching and I said he finally said he said listening is not optional <laughs> that's <laughs> a great line should be above the door of all, I the, know, all right, the schools right. <laughs> when you um, when you were kind of uh, first going out in the club scene and the loft scene uh, in New York were you already starting to employ the kind of wordless lines that no, you now not employ? always. I was scared to do it. I didn't really start doing it until the 70s. I was singing in the 60s. Sure. But I was always afraid. But then again, like I said, in the, when the freeze stuff happened, and I'll tell you, because I, I, my next book is going to be called Just Sing. I'd like, you know, like I have time to write a book, but <laughs> I, I touch on improvisation, of course, mm. but I, I think I want to write just my expression of my experience of what is improv, all kinds of improv. But I worked with a, a, a brass player, uh, um, um, Mark Levin. He's in Copenhagen now. Years ago, one of the first things I ever recorded was with him. As a matter of fact, Billy Hart was on this. It was probably his first. And But he would, he heard me for, you know, and, and I was only doing standards. But then I got together with him and he'd go, okay, read this line and I'll read this. And then he said, just sing. So there was no more music. There were no. There wasn't a song. He just said, "Just sing." That's what I want to call my book. So don't steal it. <laughs> and then you know who else? Uh, Rand Blake. Uh, when after Gene Lee went to Europe, they'd worked together. I can't remember who I who I met first because I met them separately. And he sang thing for the short while that I worked with him for a minute. He would say, "Yeah, just sing." And what? And so I what did that mean no to you? Words. The, so I yeah. don't know. That's what I mean about this. Uh, what if we had iPhones and stuff that I could listen to? Them. Oh my God, I don't know if I, I'd ever want to hear it. <laughs> but I don't know what I did. You just try. And I used to say, oh, there's a lot of garbage you have to go through. But that's true of anything, you know. And you choose intuitively, I think. I hope. I don't know. It just sounds like such a daunting. I mean, it's basically the push off the cliff, right? Here. Well, it does, except that instrumentalists do it all the time. They just play. Of course, they got the keys and everything. You know, but as singers, you know, when you think you're a singer and you got a melody and a lyric and boom, 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 you know. So, but all music started that way. Sure. When you think, you know, a lot of things I do, people think I studied Indian music and all this kind of thing. I didn't. I think if if everybody, no matter where they were in the world, if they started to sing, there weren't the songs, there wasn't music, certain things would come out that, that I think connect to emotion. Yeah. But, you know, but now then later, you know, became a thing. You think, oh, I can't do that. And that happens in with young people wanting to improvise. And in my workshops, they're scared. And that's why I search for things to make it easy, just like little kids do it all the right. time. Uh, it's so funny that, that uh, regular listeners of my show will be sick of hearing me say this. But I always talk to people about the fact that I think, you know, obviously all kids improvise. And then <laughs> they're they're taught to not do it Early. anymore. And Early. then if they're lucky, they're able to unlearn that teaching and get back to the just the joy of exploring the music i know and that that is what uh for progressive education that's people do understand that yeah that you start out that way you you have feelings you have ideas and they cut you they come out you know but then 
Something he tells you how it's supposed to be. Or even the notion of music, written music. That came about to remember something that maybe you composed and to have other people do it. But then it became, that's all you do. Right. As a piano player. I mean, I comp for my, I don't play out. And I can actually comp jazz. You know, I, I just, myself, I learned it because I was a classical player. But I can't do, I couldn't do anything without music. Playing the piano. Right. Without reading it, you know. And it was restrictive. Yeah. Know? It's restrictive. So first of so I do it with my voice. I try anyway. <laughs> You said a minute ago, and I'm so glad you did, uh, when I made the push off the cliff comment, you said, well, that's what instrumentalists do all the time, which is such a good reminder because what, what you're talking about is not some, it's not some novel approach to music making. It's just reconceptualizing it's the voice. Yeah, there's certain right. functions that we, that, that we got, you know. And if you don't do it early, you are scared. I'll tell you something else. Even as an instrumentalist, they can play things, they can be improvising, and they have certain keys and scales in that they can try. And we have to hear everything, mm. you know. And so that's even, you know, like we can't, we can know theory and everything, but that isn't going to be the same as what, if they don't, if they know it's a certain scale, they can play that scale, and they say they know it with their mind that it fits. Now, we know the good ones are hearing it. Right. <laughs> but we don't have, you know so it is kind of scary yeah there's no finger we make a mistake it sounds awful sure you know, i mean a real mistake there aren't that many mistakes right <laughs> we can fix that you know. <laughs> i uh i saw you i don't know maybe it's about two months ago now in a in a duo with uh theo blackman right uh, as part of the evolving music series and i remember well, which is what prompted me to ask you to come on the show because i was so amazed by and maybe I shouldn't be. I guess this is my own uh, lack of awareness. But I was so amazed by how much music the two of you were able to make. I mean, it it was incredible. It was this room filling, densely layered polyrhythmic music that you were making just with your voices and electronics and the occasional small toy. Yeah. Uh, but it it looked like it it looked like it must have been just incredibly fun to do to have that kind of simpatico with another person who was also interested in experimenting and using the voice kind of beyond its assumed potential but yeah i'd be interested yeah. to hear I what mean, you I, thought about of course it. i've been doing it for years sure uh, 
in terms of even with other singers, but I don't just do it with anybody, and I think that it takes a lot, you know, or even just another instrumentalist just to, because we just got together once, but I've known Theo a long time because, you know, he, I was teaching in Austria years ago when he was there. So, I mean, I worked with him a short while, and I'm sure I'm somewhat of an influence on him. But but he, but there's an example of somebody who, who uh, has his own thing. And yet, so, so our, and I, we've been wanting to do this for a while, you know. And uh, here's someone younger than me, you know, found his own way, and where do we meet? And it was one rehearsal. It is, it is amazing in a way, especially with, with electronics. That could be a, a terrible train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure maybe it was, but then we, then we call it train wreck, right. and we got a piece. Right, exactly. That was our, our new tune, Collision. Yeah, Hope no, it was, it. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And yeah. Will you talk about your, your entry into the use of electronics? I know you've told this uh, well, story before. Well, you know, um, I can say that, uh, I, you know, I work with Jerry Grinelli, a drummer, mm-hmm. a great drummer. I mean, and we met years ago, and we hit it off like that musically, like that. I mean, we we must have been, I don't, you know, he, he believes in other lives. I'm not sure. But, but um, he... At the time that we started playing together, and he's a wonderful free player, again, we didn't even know each other. I was teaching at Naropa Institute. I'll talk fast because it's a short story. But we were teaching in Boulder, Colorado, and we had never met each other. And I was there two days. He asked me to do a concert with him and Colin Walcott, (laughs) two percussionists (laughs) and me, free, in a planetarium. Talk about just sing. Just yeah. sing. And, you know, and sets of confidence. And we, you know, so, and ever since it's history, and then we both ended up in Seattle, but he used some electronics on his drums. Now, I had heard it before. Ursula Dujek, I was, is a, who, in, from Vocal Summit, you must know about mm-hmm. Vocal Summit, and I don't know if you have those CDs, but she was really the one that used him first, I think, you know, who's, who cares? But, but I didn't hear much of it, but I knew she did it, but I didn't know anybody else, but he did. And he kept saying, you should get something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, my first thing was the little pedal that, that it was a chorus. I used it. Then I kept borrowing people's delays. Now, at that time, they were like two seconds, but, you know, did it, did it, did it, did it, you know. Right. And I wasn't, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to affect my voice. I just wanted to do counterpoint with my voice. Sure. That was my first concept of it. So then I kept getting them. And the next one was four seconds. Oh, my God. Doot. Doot. Instead of doot, doot, you know. And so I kept, and he's really the one that, in, that inspired me you, you, to get the very first one. I had a little Casio. I said, I got to go change this. He said, oh, why don't you get something, you know. So that's how it started. And then again, this is what I tell all, young singers are starting to do it now. Of course, they all want to do it, you know, which is great. But I tell them, just get one. Anything, just try it. There is no, you know, formula for it. Yeah. Or you get stuck in one, but there is no formula. And I can remember, this is years ago, of course, uh, I forget when Theo actually started using it, but he had a jam man, Ursula had a jam man, and I had a jam man. It's a little rack one. Now there's, I have different, we're all doing different things. We used them so different. So differently. Because it's just an instrument like anything else, right? Yeah, Yeah, because it's the same. If you, so we, you have to just try stuff or not. For me, I like it as an extension, environments and stuff. I'm a composer. I compose improvisationally. That's how it started anyway, you know. And, uh, but I didn't do it out for a while. I just had it, you know, and worked at home. And then I just started going for it. But Grinelli was a big, 
you know, yeah, do it, taking risks, you know. Will you talk more? You said uh, you use it for environments and extensions. Can you talk a little more about your your particular approach? To yeah, I mean, I you know, it's I've never really talked that much about it uh, because I just did it. My first uh, piece that I wrote was called "Sometimes." It's on Circle on, on um, the piece of Wild Things. So you right. probably have mm-hmm. that solo CD of mine. It was also on Circle Dancing, and uh, I had a I, that was before I got the uh, what do you call it the. the um, vocal uh, the chorus or delay looper oh the loop right yeah i had a four track cassette player i used to have one of those too <laughs> remember those yep <laughs> and so i made this thing i don't know what i was doing i repeated patterns and then the next thing i know i had it on one thing and then i was singing with it and then i got my delay and i started doing live stuff and that was the first one and i was afraid uh, to play it for anyone you know, but after that, I knew. In other words, whatever the environment was, it evoked these words. I can't. I don't know what came first. I don't. In, I do not write a lot of lyrics, but I did sometimes. It just actually it came out of it free. Um, oh, I'll tell you this and this. With Grinelli, let's get back to Seattle at that sure. time. Julian Priester, P, J, uh, Gary Peacock, and Jerry Grinelli and I formed a band called uh, uh, Quartet. You know, with two T's. I got a grant, and I, I made some concerts with us. But we would do these concerts, and we did a lot of free playing. So you don't hear it as much anymore. That's why the whole thing down with Pepe and them at, at uh, Evolving Voices is, is fantastic. It's the circle come back round. They've always done it, but I mean... So I, we were in the middle of a free piece, and I'm a word person. I'm a singer, and I had no words. So one came in my... You know, so it came out. You see, that's the sure. thing. I am a word person, you know. But now, now the question is what text? And through the use of these electronics, I started to do the poetry. Mm. And uh, people ask me about that, I think, because I love the love songs. As you know, my latest CD is In and Out of Love Standards. Right. But I think I needed a different message, m- more extension of message. And the poets, how to say it, so the message is what I'm always drawn to. And E.E. E. Cummings, of course, he can say it in a few words. You know, I mean, Gene Lee did this years ago, and there's a lot of poets, sound poets, and it's great. Everybody does that different. That's not new. But for me, the, it's the message in, in improvising and in writing on the spot. So then the electronics, the environment evokes a certain word, or does the word evoke a certain sound? I don't know. Yeah. But that's why, so I would, so I'm still doing that. I'll find these environments and I'll become a word, you know. And a lot of times, I just memorize poems now without anything preset. 
you know, I can make a piece with it, but it's certain. What I found now is I'm not always sure when they're going to come out, but I have to get them in there, you know. So. You said in the beginning uh, of your electronic experimentation that you weren't as interested in affecting your voice as you were in things like doing counterpoint with it or, yeah, or making, creating the space uh, yeah, around it. Yeah, I, I don't – I do that. I did get – and I, I don't use it as much anymore, the harmonizer. And that yeah. definitely – and the, and I have – uh, Ursula started using this. I got that idea from her, the bass pedal. Right. It lowers the thing. So because I did do. hear both of those, they do. But Theo, I yeah. don't have a lot of things that make my voice sound funny. Sure. I I, I prefer um, these long melodies or rhythmic things or pointillistic things that are many voices. But it just happens to be mine. That's always been my first thing. Yeah. Do you find that the electronics contain a lot of surprises? I mean, do you find yes. yourself just seeing, what does this do? <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's why you can't teach it. In other words, right. a lot of things I've discovered were through mistakes. I had to push the wrong thing, and then I had to live with it. There's some that, that you can do. I used to have one that you would sing it, and it would only happen once, or you sing it, and it happens many times, and then I, I had the wrong thing on, and it was many times, but it made another thing that you go with. And that's sure. what I'm, I'm actually learning about I believe that's true period in improvisation with or without electronics you have to trust that when the music takes over you, you give it some space and wow then you react to that yeah you know instead of always making you know but with the electronics you got to you know I, I I'm still I, you know I'm, I'm pretty you know people say oh you really know what you're doing I don't exactly know what I'm doing <laughs> but I do it a lot so that yeah. I kind of know what's going to happen. And then some things I do pre-set occasionally, you know. It seems like you have to do more than trust when the music takes over. You have to be aware of when that happens too, Big right? Big time, T word, the trust word. Yeah. Big time. And that's true in all music. And the longer I sing, that the longer I know how important that is. Because mm. when you go for it and trust it, now you are prepared because it's not like, you know, I'm not saying, but... That's a big one. And in electronics, it is a big one because you don't know exactly what's going to, you know. And I find it fascinating. I go in and out of doing it. I, I take them along now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, uh, you, well, yeah, I don't know if, if you heard whatever last real set of mine other than duo was, but in the whole evening, I mean, it could be two or three times that I use it or four maybe. You don't use sure. it on every tune. I don't know. Yeah, or I may, or maybe I will do a solo piece. You know, but I'm still exploring, and I'm still going to keep finding different new ones too. 
because they keep making them and then you get used to one and then they don't make it anymore right you know so <laughs> so then you cannot get stuck yeah that's the good news and the forces news. you forward yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right. do you see as you as you look around the i guess the vocal jazz world these days do you see a number of people doing these kinds of experiments or is it still yeah, a fairly still infrequent several, thing? yeah and you know a lot of people are starting to do it and they takes you know maybe they're i know a lot of them and they'll do it at home for a while and then they're starting to integrate it yeah it's tricky you have to you know i remember a couple of the first times in public right <laughs> you're afraid you're going to push the wrong button you know oh yeah oh yeah sure yeah and they're going to just keep making them more you know but again i say you better just keep working on it because it's not just the electronic. It's what you put in. The idea. Hello. The idea and the sound. Because you're going to hear it over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> so you better like it. Right. Or, or get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the electronics are kind of a harsh mistress, it seems like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they can be. Do you... Uh... Do you get different kinds of pleasure out of like the in and out of love material, the the kind of standard material, than you do out of the more experimental? Does that draw yeah. on a different part of you? It it just uh, I mean there I think that's pretty integrated these days, but it's different. Uh, I think one of the biggest differences is, is of course a word. Although I do the poetry and the harmonic uh, uh, material, it's very hard to uh, improvise with other people. Harmonic chord, you know, progression. But I'll tell you, when I was in the lot, you know, I used to do, uh, you probably don't know, because this was in the early 70s, I had a loft down in Lisbonard Street. This is before Sam Rivers and Ribby and all those lofts. Sam Rivers played in my loft. Uh, but um, I would do concerts, all standards. Then the next time I'd be completely free. I mean completely, <laughs> don't even talk. And I, I really, even at that time, I knew I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know how the twain would meet. Yeah. Because they are very different in a, at first. So I would be doing a standard concert, and I, I wish, during the middle of some place, I wish I could, I just heard something else, you know, but it didn't go in that. It's not really appropriate. I, I mean, I, I think we as jazz musicians can be very free with the standards and very unique without being crazy free the best that you know. I mean, look at Bill Evans, you find your thing, right? But I, but you know, it wasn't appropriate. And then the same thing would happen if I was in the middle of the free concert. Right in the middle somewhere I go, oh, just please let me sing How Deep is the Ocean, <laughs> you know. And so through the years, I know that I don't, eclectic as it may seem, that's, I do it out of love of the music. I don't, yeah. I don't, it's no supposed to. And you said you feel like they've they've gotten closer. They've integrated I more hope now. So yeah, yeah. In other words, one gives the other weight. Hmm. You know, for me, everybody has a different approach of what that balance is. And of course, when you're free, that doesn't mean you you don't sing melodically and right. anything. Free does not mean to me crazy or wild or whatever. Yeah, it just means you really are composing right then. Yeah, I can't remember who it was who said free to me means not only free to be free of harmonies and melodies, but also free to play them if I choose to oh, play them. Oh, <laughs> right. absolutely. It isn't free, free of can that. Be everything. And that's a misconception. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's harder to improvise that, but no, it isn't au contraire. Yeah. You know, for me, au contraire. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that even when you're playing as free as you can play, you're still informed by everything you've heard and all the music that's you it. know. Now, you got it. I say that in my book. You, 
And in other words, I think that's what I love about jazz. I'll write you out a small royalty check for the... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. That's what I like about improvisation. Anything you've ever heard, anything you've ever believed in, anything you've ever experienced comes out in that. Yeah. So if you've... And that, that's true. Like if you're hearing a free player, just even a young one who I, I want to play free, I can tell what they've been listening to. We can tell, can't we? You know... And so if you want to swing and you never listen to anything swinging, you're not going to swing. And to me, that's still, I would be, as a free player, I think I'm more jazz, more jazz rooted than anything. There are classical people who play free. So yeah. You can tell, you know, what you've listened to, and that's great. You know? yeah. But isn't that wonderful? It's not restricted in terms of what you've ever heard. Yeah. Done, you know? Yeah, I mean, no one's playing in a vacuum. Yeah. It's wonderful. Except maybe literally in some of the weird free jazz circles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you uh, as you look ahead now, you have other than writing another book in your free time. Do you have uh, your eyes on some new projects? Oh yes, I have many. That's my problem. I was going to say, yeah, that seems to be no. Seems to be it your can thing, be right? a problem. You know, I just recently have been working with an agent. You know, Andreas Schur. Maybe you know mm -hmm. him, and he really does love the new music. I respect it. I'm on his roster, but. But, you know, what they say, they go, you know, I, I just wish I had this one little group. I don't. I don't. I go from my solo stuff to standards with several different people. I mean, right now it's a duo with Grinelli, Sound Songs. It's my own solo stuff. When I, It's my band. I call it Jay Clayton Project. But I have, like, Gary Thomas and Julian Priester and Jay, Jay and I, these wonderful players that I've used to. Um, now this bebop to freebop is wonderful because we can – do what we do in that, you know. Yeah. But I'll tell you something. I'll say it briefly. But I have 13 arrangements for string, chamber orchestra, jazz trio, horn, and me. That's only been only happened once in in Switzerland. There's a wonderful uh, conductor there, uh, Andre Belmont, who who instigated. He just hadn't even, didn't even really know me, and we kept meeting. And then people like Gary Thomas did my free piece. Uh, Mike Foreman acted a piece, Jim Knapp, Cecil Bridge. These are Ed Neumeister. Oh, my God. Anyway, what I, only to say that it's hard. It's good. It's my hook, I suppose, in the end. I don't know. But, you know, when when he wants to present something, go, well, who do you want to do it with? Well, right. What's how much is it? You know, where is it? You know? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a little tricky. But those, everything I said, I, I'm into and even just two, a couple of days ago, I decided I have to do a new brochure. In the 70s, I did a great one. I was still eclectic. I had different combinations. And I think I'm going to have to try to get it on paper a little easier. I'm not sure. But that's who I am. That's what I love. Yeah. <laughs> Sun, the sky and die. 
we drink the rain. Do you feel like uh, I don't know if you can tell or not, but are, are there? Do you feel like your 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 audience is segmented to some degree? That there are there are Jay Clayton fans who are into this Jay Clayton, and there are Jay Clayton fans I'm, who are into I'm not, this. You know, that's a good question. Um, I think now not so much because I have these CDs out, like Circle Dancing right. and Brooklyn 2000. They combine everything. That's maybe not so, but here's a, here's a short funny. I'll just tell you one funny story. I, when I did the uh, Fred Hirsch and I did that beautiful love, that was my one of the early ones of standards. Even though I never, my first uh, album was All Out, Jay Clayton All Out. You know, in other words, the very first one under my name I recorded with other people was. I always record what I'm doing right then, you know, but I'm still doing standards. I couldn't get a standard thing out. Anyway, I did it with Fritters, and we did a little release thing down at a loft uh, downtown. And afterwards, this guy came up to me, and he, and he loved it. He said, wow, he said, you know, I knew another Jay Clayton, but she used to sing real free. He thought it, he's literally <laughs> said that. That's great. So he had heard me or uh, in the 60s, yeah. and now it was... When was that? It was in the eighties, <laughs> and it's like so. Yeah, but I, I'm not. I think now that I've recorded more, not that everybody has those, but yeah, but people have a better conception. I, of I don't know. Who you, you would are. know more than me. Did, did you? Now I have to ask you. I'm going to interview you. Sure. Well, I mean, you probably you, you know me enough that you you know. Did you hear me in or out? What can you remember the first? Oh, definitely out. I mean, the out stuff was the first stuff I heard by you. Was it on was CD? Stuff, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Before yeah. I ever saw you, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it was the that was definitely what attracted me to you was hearing someone do something else with their voice that I yeah, hadn't really yeah. heard Yeah, yeah, and before. so that that was put out there early, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. But I really, yeah, I just, I'm, repertoire is a big deal. Like, I, you know, I try to find repertoire or write, write, write pieces now that do, you can only do it with certain kinds of people, people instrumentalists or singers who, who are like, like-minded in that they right. like both. Sure. That's for me my favorite. Right. That's what I mean by like-minded, that they like both, that they're rooted, but they've done a lot of free. A lot of people want to do free, but they haven't done a lot. I was just lucky enough to be around when it was happening. Yeah. You know, and so, um, anyway, I, you know, I, I look for pieces that I could present to people that they'll make something out of it, and not and there's a character about it. I call it points of departure. There's another book. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, material that it doesn't require too much reading, because it's restrictive to right. read so much. So I still feel page. that. Right. Yeah. And then be yourself. My guest is Jay Clayton, who's uh, certainly excelled at being herself. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you about the music. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Oh, thanks for asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, thank you. Thank you.
That's Jay Clayton. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, our first official sponsor, and presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Thanks to the Respect Sextet, it really is its getting pathetic how frequently I forget to thank them at the top of the show. <laughs> It's its just, it's sad, really is what it is. Uh, anyway, thanks to them. They are online at respectsextet.com, and uh, they're wonderful. Just really, really wonderful. I, uh, I knew the guys and discovered their music at about the same time, and I, I still love all the guys, and their music just keeps getting better and better. They're coming up on 10 years, as a matter of fact, which is really amazing. Uh, in fact, stay tuned to this show for information uh, about that, their, uh, their 10th anniversary. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo, and he tweets very funnily at twitter.com slash Dave Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. Please do become a member at thejazzsession.com slash join. For as little as 10 bucks a month, you can keep this show going. I need 36 more members by August 11th, show number 300, which is only nine shows away. It's coming up very, very, very quickly. Excuse me, eight shows away. This is 292. And now, if you would, please turn off all this stuff and get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.